I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. New Fish Bites. It's Eli Sussman here, coming off an exhilarating week of Miami Marlins baseball, off the field, and finally on the field. Throughout the long winter on fishstripes.com, our website, at fishstripes on social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, we tried our best to keep Marlins fans informed and entertained, but this, right now, is truly the best stretch of the entire year. Spring training is underway, and the possibilities for 2020 are endless. Infinite. Anything can happen. As of this recording, the Marlins are undefeated in the Grapefruit League competition. These solo podcast episodes from me during the spring and the summer of 2020 won't be quite as long as what you're used to from during the offseason when I went an hour at a time or even more than that, because finally, things are happening. Quick, quick, quick. Uh, Constant updates. And the longer I record uh, myself, the more outdated the content is by the time I edit it together and post it and you listen to it. So there's no sense in having any of that and wasting more time than we have to. Uh, The format that I'm exploring for the next month or so during spring training on Fish Bites is to focus on a single game of the week that takes place during the Grapefruit League and to go really in-depth on that one game and all the notable individual performances, some of the team-wide stuff off the field as well, just uh, really picking apart one particular game that was played during spring training that week, and then to look forward from there to the upcoming week, uh, what I'm most paying attention to, the individual players that I'm focusing on. So we're going to try that format at least this time, and then maybe the next week, and, and we'll see how you guys like it. Uh, the selection for this first week is pretty straightforward, considering that the Grapefruit League opener for the Marlins took place on Saturday against the Mets, and then they had their home opener at Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium on Sunday against the reigning World Series champion, Washington Nationals. They won both of those games, and if I'm to pick one, one game of the week for the first week of spring training, it would be the opener against the Mets on February 22nd on the road in Port St. Lucie. Uh, That's because the game was televised. That's because the game was especially heavy on young talent. Uh, A lot of guys that aren't in the major leagues, um, ones that still have are so much potential, so much room to grow. And I'm going to be breaking down a lot of those guys. Even before the first pitch was thrown in the game on Saturday, the Marlins achieved this fascinating milestone. On the mound for them, starting was right-hander Jordan Yamamoto. And also in the lineup with him, Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, and Isan Diaz. This is the first time, either before they arrived in the Christian Yelich trade from Milwaukee, and in the two-plus years since then, 
the first time that all four of those guys were in the starting lineup of the same game together. This is not a quote-unquote real game. It's not a meaningful game, but we're recording stats. They're playing against another major league team uh, within their own division. So there are enough stakes in this case for me to take notice of that. And I did the research. They were on the field a couple times together last spring, but never um, never in the starting lineup, never really featured players all together at the same time. It was a really young starting lineup for the Marlins in general in this opening game, which is what made it so compelling. So I, I just like the aesthetic of having all those guys together and what that represented in some small way about this rebuild, maybe finally turning the corner and seeing the fruits of those rebuilding trades that they made to go young and how that worked out. Uh, so very quickly on Yamamoto, he was all right, you know, pitched two innings, which is very typical for the first time through a rotation with, with the Marlins. That's what they did last year, or that's what they attempted to do. And uh, that's the plan again this year for the first part. If you're being stretched out to be a starting pitcher, first time through, pitch a couple innings. For him, 30-something pitches. In his first inning of work, there was some spotty defense behind him. There was a very difficult wind at play in this game, and you're going to hear more about that in just a few minutes. So, um, so in interesting conditions that made it tricky on him, but he really settled down in his second inning of work, including a, a really pretty strikeout that he had on a breaking ball. Also in the lineup with all those guys, former first-round draft pick J.J. Blade, just drafted last June, number four overall pick, the highest draft pick the Marlins have had in a number of years. And he was somewhat of a surprise invite to Major League Spring Training in the first place. And for him to even be ready to enter the very first game of the exhibition schedule, that was uh, that was a big shocker. That was a lot of fun when that news broke. That was probably the biggest takeaway. He was all the way down in the number eight spot in the lineup, but uh, he pretty immediately showed what makes him such a compelling prospect. Uh, depending on where you look, uh, he could many believe that he is the best position player prospect in the organization right now. Um, and I'd say I'm probably in that camp as well, that he's just such a well-rounded player, uh, 22 years old. And despite the so-so results last year when he was playing at the high A level, uh, you could just see the tools that he has and the instincts, the discipline that he has at the plate and his luscious swing. That's the adjective I chose to use when we saw it for the first time from a side angle. He got a hit in his very first at-bat in spring training, and right it was through the right side in between first base and second base. Great exit velo on that ball as well. As is the case in all these very early spring games, he was only in the game for a couple innings before being removed for a substitute, but the future is very bright for Mr. Blade. Having that opportunity was crazy. I didn't, I didn't think it'd be, you know, first game of the spring training, and let alone, you know, big league camp. But uh, no, it was awesome, and I was just going out there trying to make the most of the opportunity and keep it simple. Get my pitch to hit and play good defense, and you know, learn from these guys. Honestly, just like I said earlier, just sticking to your pitch, sticking to the game plan, and uh, you know, not trying to rush your, rush your mechanics, and, and keeping that same approach. I, I didn't see a lefty all uh, leading up into the in the game, so it was. Uh, it was nice finally get to see one and finally uh, you know, learn from those mistakes and, and, and execute. 
Starting in center field and batting in the number two spot, Monte Harrison took over the first inning with an electric run around the bases. First, he was the one that that got a hit. That was actually the first hit for the Marlins of the game. And then he very promptly stole second base. And then he stole third base. And then he came around to score on a Garrett Cooper single to put the Marlins up in front. Uh, When Monte gets his bat on the ball, he is one of the best players you could ever ask for. The big question with him is going to be how often he gets his bat on the ball. But when he does it, the tools are just off the charts. The aggressiveness that he has and the confidence in himself, that showed up immediately in this game. Uh, If you were to ask Michael Hill on Truth Serum what his plans were for Monte this year, it was probably to option him down to AAA Wichita and call him up to the majors at the first sign of an opening in the outfield, but Monte's going to be playing a lot this spring, and uh, if anything goes awry with the other veteran outfielders that they have in place and some of the other players slightly with slightly more experience than him in the majors, uh, he's going to make his case to force his way on the opening day roster. There, there's um, This particular game was a microcosm of everything that he can bring to the team and that few other players in the organization can bring. As much as we think about this farm system, uh, hardly anybody has the type of skill set that Monte has and brings the kind of confidence that he has on the fields into the game. He's, he's a really unique player, and he made a great first impression on everybody. For those that weren't already familiar with him and everything that he did, this was a, a great introduction to what he's all about. Coming out of the bullpen, uh, in the middle innings, after Yamamoto, uh, Robert Duggar was a guy I had circled coming into the spring training. He made his major league debut late last year, got a few turns in the rotation with very middling results, and uh, I think the general thought with him is that he's a nice depth piece to have on the pitching staff, but somebody that doesn't really have the upside or um, the nastiness in his stuff in order to miss enough bats uh, to work three times through the lineup that there's just a ceiling on him that he would always be uh, some more of a depth piece than a guy that you could count on to be consistently contributing at the major league level. What he did this offseason is he tried to raise his own ceiling. He tried to make changes to his game by adding on some muscle, by pumping up his fastball velocity. And so that's what I was paying close attention to when watching this game. When he was in the majors last year, maybe he was worn down a little bit by pitching a lot at AA and AAA before that. But his fastball velo last year was kind of hovering right at 90 miles per hour. There were even some starts when it was below that. And if your fastball doesn't have a whole lot of run on it and high spin rate and you're also have below average velocity. If you don't have any special attributes to that fastball, um, you need to be so precise with your commands. Otherwise it's going to get shelled. And he had some trouble with that pitch in the majors last year. Uh, But based on this one performance, his VLO, according to the broadcast that the Mets were showing, it was consistently 92, 93 miles per hour. He worked two innings, two perfect innings, only allowed one ball out of the infield. He had one really nice strikeout of Pete Alonzo, the reigning NL Rookie of the Year, and he did everything you could want in that one performance. Uh, Just as the case is with Yamamoto and all these other pitchers, you're only stretched out to go a couple innings the first time through the first week of spring training and your first appearance. He's presumably a guy that will get stretched out a little bit more. 
and someone kind of like in Monte's situation where it could go either way of him breaking the opening day roster or going down to AAA, and this first step was very encouraging for him. I've never shied away from admitting that Harold Ramirez is perhaps my favorite player on this Marlins team. Even as soon as they signed him uh, a full year ago, when he was just a lowly non-roster invitee into Marlins spring training, I was very confident in his hitting ability. And he, for the most part, was able to show that in the majors last year, especially in high leverage situations. Maybe not a full-time player, but because of his walk-off heroics and because of the enthusiasm that he brings to the field, he has some cult hero potential and the kind of role player that really resonates with fans. Even as a major leaguer, he was probably aware of all the outfield competition that he'd be facing this year. And he didn't really rest on his laurels. He continued to work hard during this past offseason to make sure that he could stay in the major leagues. In particular, he trimmed down. One thing that made him uh, somewhat noticeable last year, regardless of performance, is that he had a pudgy physique, perhaps more relatable for the average fan than your than your like elite Monte Harrison type of athletes. Harold is uh, more like you and me. At least he used to be. But he put in the work over the offseason back in Columbia. He slimmed down, and he reported to spring training uh, out to prove that last year wasn't a fluke, and even more so that he could improve upon what he did as a rookie. And most encouragingly, despite slimming down, all that power and that bat speed that he has is still intact. He proved that by launching a no-doubt home run into left field in the early innings of this game. Harold Ramirez socks one to deep left field, and that ball's going to fly. Yep. A long home run off the bat of Harold Ramirez, who had 11 in his rookie season last year. And so Jason Shreve is greeted rudely. It's now 3-2. to two. He had some good games against the Mets last season. Right on top of the didn't, roof. Didn't have to knock over any glasses or anything. StatCast is not fully operational for this game, so we don't have an official estimated distance, but I'm pretty comfortable in saying that was an excess of 400 feet. He knew it straight off the bat, despite the vicious winds that were blowing throughout this game and made it really unpredictable. Many of the major league players returning to the Marlins from 2019 have some questions about their offensive impact. Harold is not one of them, and he got started on a great foot right there. Uh, but speaking of homers, Gerard Encarnacion, he did not start in this game. He came off the bench. Uh, another guy kind of like Blade that he, you weren't entirely sure whether he would be at Major League Camp or quite how often he'd get onto the field. But he came off the bench in this one. He entered when uh, it was tied, I believe, at 3-3. And um, he had his big impact in the ninth inning when the Marlins were up 4-3. to But he added an insurance run by going deep to the opposite field against the Mets, which takes on this day with the wind the way it was, and considering that Gerard, during the regular season, the highest regular season level that he's played at was high A Jupiter last year. After that, he went over to the fall league. But still, this is a guy that, at starting last year, he was at the low A level in Clinton. And to see the strides that he's made in just one calendar year, to go from low A to actually having perhaps the most impressive swing of this game as much as Harold's uh, home run was really beautiful to admire for Gerard to go to the opposite field 
and you know the full context just considering that he's just 22 years old and not as experienced against high level pitching competition that was that was really amazing to see him go the other way in that instance very convenient timing right before this game kicked off i published our 2020 season preview article for Gerard Encarnacion and uh, he's not an exception we're going through every single player all both on the 40 man roster and even some of these non-roster invitees like him explaining where they were this past season and what can be reasonably expected of them moving forward and there's really not much question about his bat at this point what he was able to do uh, during the fall league and some of the measurables of his swing the average exit velocity and his peak exit velocity it, it ranks right up there with someone like Garrett Cooper on on the team except Gerard being so much younger and having so many years ahead of him to get even better makes it really compelling uh, the question is more so on the defensive side because there are some mixed reports of exactly how much he contributes in that aspect of his game he has that cannon throwing arm but is is like mobility and his instincts out there in the corner spots are very iffy he fits very easily into the Marlins future plans if we can expect the designated hitter to be adopted in the National League in the next couple of years uh, because that's really the the easiest path for him to get playing time considering all the other outfielders in this system uh, on this day though that one swing that he had was really exceptional and really made him stand out in an otherwise very talented lineup uh, circling back to Lewis Brinson, we mentioned starting together with all his other friends from the Yelich trade, and it was curious to me that he was in left field for this one. They had Monte in center, and they had Bleday in right, and that moved Brinson over to left, a position that he has not played at, at all in the major leagues for the Marlins the past couple regular seasons, and as far as I can remember, I don't think he started there for any of the spring games the past couple of years either. Um, he made a, a couple plays uh, in left, one of them being a long running catch moving to his right and heading towards the foul line. Uh, so otherwise, it was pretty uneventful overall. Otherwise, uh, just something to keep an eye on. He also grounded into a double play in this game when it was still close in the early innings. He He's done some tinkering with his swing over the offseason, uh, but... And he also, in his second at-bat, aside from the double play, he had a reasonably deep fly ball to left center field that ultimately didn't quite make it to the warning track. He's obviously someone that we're going to be micro-analyzing during spring training. He was a great performer each of the last two springs, and it really didn't translate at all into the meaningful games, which is why you don't want to obsess over the numbers either way. But he's in an interesting position just because of the struggles during the regular season and all these other outfielders coming through, the 40-man roster crunch that this team is facing. And I think the expectations realistically at this point, just so everybody's on the same page, is that they're not looking at Brinson as an everyday starting outfielder anymore. They gave him that chance yet again late in the 2019 regular season, and he simply didn't perform. There's just too many questions about his offensive game to carve out that kind of a, type of role for him. And you just do the math when you look at the rest of this roster and all the veterans that they brought in. Uh, they'll, they'll, there's going to be a big cram for playing time regardless. So the, the best case scenario for him is just making sure that he's on the opening day roster so that at least he has that opportunity to get into games and try to find that type of groove that he hasn't been able to find in the past. 
Uh, and one other thing from this game is just rounding up all the debuts, all the guys that were appearing in spring training games for the Marlins for the very first time. This is a very active offseason. We put together a fun graphic on fishstripes.com uh, that leans on emojis to try to show how they made all the moves that they made during the winter, uh, both on the roster and uh, a lot of these minor league and major league signings, the trades, just showing how all these players were acquired. Make sure to find that article under our 2019-20 Marlins offseason in review. And some of those players that we saw for the first time in this game on Saturday, right-hander Yimmy Garcia, who worked a clean inning in relief that included a strikeout of Tim Tebow, Mets outfield quote-unquote prospect Tim Tebow. Uh, the utility infielder, Gosuke Kato, who was previously in the Yankees organization, signed as a minor league free agent. Uh, more minor league free agents, Ryan LaVarnway, who entered at catcher later into this game and uh, at this point probably profiles as depth piece that they would have at AAA Wichita if everybody else is healthy, making it through camp. Sean Rodriguez, the veteran utility guy who's bounced around a few different teams, and he is the brother, I think, of one of the coaches on the Marlins staff, the Marlins assistant hitting coach, Robert Rodriguez. And finally, Stephen Tarpley. Tarpley, another Yankee, former Yankee, who was uh, developed by them and made his major league debut with them in the past couple of years. But at this point, the way that their depth is looking, Tarpley is going to have a pretty good chance of cracking the opening day roster, uh, uh, even if it's in a relatively low leverage relief role, extreme ground ball tendencies. And he was the one that closed out this game. So he was the one that pitched that final inning and put it away, going up against backups, Again, in all these cases, there's only so many conclusions that you can reach based on these tiny, tiny sample sizes in the very, very first game. But five guys that we saw for the very first time, and that's what makes every single one of these games for the first week uh, ultra sweet is getting our first looks at players that didn't factor into the team at all last year. And these are guys brought in for specific reasons to help the team on the fringes to get just a little bit better in 2020. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. In total, there are 65 Marlins players at Major League Camp this year. After only two games, we've seen most of them in action. That first game had 24 of them, and then we had about another 20 new guys make their debut again on Sunday. So we've got a, a pretty good feel for who's going to be involved with this team this year. But there's still some more that I'm looking forward to, especially on the pitching side. And I'm going to go through them once that we're all expecting to make their debuts this coming week at some point. The first is pretty obvious. Sixto Sanchez, top prospect in the organization. He spent most of the last year at AA. He was amazing at AA. Not just his pure stuff, but the poise he has on his mound, uh, the decisions that he makes as a pitcher, the surprising athleticism that he has to field his position off the mound. 
he's just so much fun to watch. Only 21 years old, and uh, barring a catastrophe, he's going to be making his major league debut this year, and almost certainly within the Marlins starting rotation. Once he gets into the rotation, he might stick there for a year or two or five or 10 or 12. He's really exceptional. And it's probably the first time that he appears in a game, just like some of these other starting rotation candidates. It's only going to be for a couple innings at a time, at most getting once through a batting order. Even so, it's I'm very much looking forward to seeing him as a guy that throughout his entire career pretty much he's been pitching against older competition and that's going to be more true than ever before once he gets into a major league spring training game staying with the prospects outfielder jesus sanchez no relation to sixto he's somewhat of a divisive prospect everybody considers him a top 100 guy but where exactly in that top 100 overall list he lands is a up to how much you weigh raw numbers that he puts in minor league games he unlike Sixto has not really lit the world on fire when he's played at the higher levels of the minor leagues he made it all the way to AAA last year and wasn't doing all that well until he got traded to the Marlins in July he came over with Ryan Stanick in the trade for Nick Anderson and Trevor Richards so he was hitting pretty well right after the trade and then he suffered a a minor leg injury that cut his season a little bit short just a beautiful swing from the left side I shouldn't say beautiful it's a great swing it's a vicious swing Blade is the one that has that picturesque uh, conventional swing that you want to teach all your kids Uh, Sanchez has more violence in his but it has great potential some of the longest home runs that I saw get hit at AAA last year we're off the bat of Jesus Sanchez when he gets into one. Aside from that, a really well-rounded player, or should I say a well-rounded skill set that he has as a runner. And uh, defensively, at the major leagues, he's probably a corner outfielder, especially considering the other options that the Marlins have uh, coming through the pipeline. Uh, Craig Mish is reporting that Sanchez is expected to debut in the middle or towards the end of this coming week, so a little bit later than these other young position players but I think he'll be worth the wait. And also Edward Cabrera, right there with Sixto as a guy that you can realistically expect to be a major league starting pitcher, a good one, and for a long time, more prototypical type of starting pitchers build. Six foot four, long and lean, and he generates the same kind of mid to high 90s fastball velocity to go along with the changeup and breaking ball. He's able to get swings and misses with all those. The huge leap forward that he made in the minds of evaluators last year was being able to really precisely locate all those pitches that he has. That was the big question mark with him uh, coming into the year, and he he proved it, especially at high A Jupiter. Then he moved up to Jacksonville and continued to have some success against older competition. There's been some footage of him at uh, pitching in simulated games on the backfields and really pitching well against just about everybody that he's been facing because of the weapons that he has and the fact that uh, people really haven't gotten a good chance to see him yet. So this is a great platform for him to finally do so, uh, considering that he was as recently as Sunday pitching in a simulated game. I think it's safe to say that we're still a few days away for when his arm recovers from that work and being able to enter a game so he could he could be a little while away and uh even less so than six so it's 
there's no real scenario where Cabrera is going to be on the opening day roster. So they're not going to put him more into more spring training games than he absolutely has to. Uh, the idea is being able to pace him over the course of the year to make sure that he's available towards the end of the year, uh, presuming that there's going to be some openings in the rotation at some point once we get to the dog days of summer. Once he arrives in the majors, he's not going back down. His ceiling is about as high as anybody in the Marlins organization right now. Several major league bullpen roles still to be decided on this Marlins team, so I picked out three relievers that I'll be paying close attention to, ones that haven't debuted yet in spring training games and and hopefully will in the upcoming days. First one, you're very familiar with him. I've mentioned him several times on the pod during the offseason, right-hander Jeff Brigham, one of the few holdovers from the 2019 Marlins bullpen former starting pitching prospect, used to have some trouble with his durability and also his effectiveness multiple times through the lineup because he had that lacking third pitch in his repertoire. So now that he's a reliever, he's been able to simplify that mix to go from to just a fastball and a slider, and the measurables on those two pitches are outstanding. Fastball velocity was sitting 95 to 97 in major league games last year. The slider has one of the highest spin rates out of anybody in the league in any role. He has the confidence to throw both of those pitches about 50% of the time, use them interchangeably in about any situation, keeping batters off balance. Uh, 28 years old, this is a big opportunity for him. Uh, before some of those guys begin to establish themselves when the next wave of pitchers come up, when Sixto and Edward create somewhat of a crunch in the rotation and and force others into relief roles, uh, Brigham was going to want to establish himself before that, beginning during the first half of the season especially. And, And that begins with making sure that his stuff is still exactly what it was last year, because that was very important, just the quality of his stuff. It'll have to show that that's repeatable. And he'll have to be more precise with his command as well. Uh, Some of the stats that we have on that indicate that he just wasn't hitting the glove very often as he he should have. Even so, he was able to have above average strikeout numbers. But the difference between being above average and being elite is throwing exactly where you intend to throw. So hopefully that's some of the work that he's been putting in during the offseason to make his delivery more repeatable. Also in the bullpen, Drew Steckenrider who is, out of all the guys in Marlins Major League camp, basically none of them have injury issues or question marks coming into the year, with the exception of Steckenrider, because he finished last year with a significant elbow injury. Uh, He's already been throwing bullpens. By all accounts, he's perfectly on schedule for the 2020 season. You're just a little bit worried because he had those elbow issues last year that um, there could be a recurrence of them. Uh, thank goodness right now he's 100% all systems go just like Brigham still has a minor league option remaining just like Brigham fastball slider guy that when he's right he is a really great reliever he was able to show that as recently as the middle of the 2018 season Uh, the problem was last year the most recent sample that we have from him was very concerning he just wasn't having any success at all he allowed a handful of home runs in only about a month and a half of action at the major league level. And that's just 
a no-no for any reliever at this time, especially with the fences coming in a little bit at Marlins Park. If you're susceptible to home runs, then you just can't be trusted in close games with the way that baseball is being played these days. Steckenrider is a significant X-factor on this Marlins team, considering how effective he was in the recent past, and he could draw some appeal as a trade candidate because of how affordable he is as a player in all of the controllable years that he still has remaining. Finally, Brad Boxberger, someone that frankly did not excite me all that much when we signed him. He's already been part of our 2020 season preview series on fishtripes.com, and I didn't exactly have flattering things to say about him because he disappointed for the Royals in 2019. He began their year as their closer. He saved one game, and then he didn't save any more after that. He had a lot of struggles, and um, for a guy that has some significant history closing games at the major league level, there's been a trend for the last handful of years where his stuff has clearly been in decline, and he's been tinkering with some of his secondary pitches to no avail the last couple of years. But what I wasn't aware of is the work that he put in during this past offseason, that it wasn't as simple as trying to pursue a guy coming off a bad year. He went to driveline baseball, the famous player development facility in Seattle, and he put in some interesting work with them to try to try to re not necessarily recapture but to reinvent himself somewhat to to make some changes to his delivery to his pitch grips and his pitch mix there is a fantastic article from Lance Brozdowski explaining the entire process that Boxberger went through to arrive at a point where he is now throwing his fastball a little harder than before and he's got a different mix of pitches that he's never quite used in this way in major league games. He's on a minor league deal, but it comes with, I believe, a $1 million salary. If he does make it onto the Marlins active roster, then there are some bonuses to go along with that. He was in some high demand this offseason, even though he was coming off a, a failure of a year with the Kansas City Royals, and that's because of the tangible changes that he made with driveline and he was able to show some of those in a bullpen that he threw out in Arizona. However, the entirety of that bullpen was not made available to the public, so we haven't quite seen it ourselves. I'll be glued to the visuals of him on the mound in a Marlins uniform for the first time because he has a very interesting track record, and that's a Marlins. this is a Marlins team where so many of these bullpen options have nice upside but are totally lacking in the track record and in high leverage major league experience, Boxberger was a nice buy low candidate that they got. After taking a deeper dive into him, I'd say that Boxberger is the strongest candidate out of all of the NRIs in Marlins camp to make it into the opening day bullpen. That's a wrap on this episode of Fish Bites. Thanks as always for tuning in. The first full week of spring training games is on deck, and we'll have wall-to-wall coverage of that on fishstripes.com on social media. And I'll be right back with you next week on the pod. Go fish. (laughs) 